What's heaven gonna be like? I don't know yet. We've never been there. What do you think it'll be like? The streets are made out of gold. And it's really bright. Angels. Giraffes. Giraffes are in the boat. Oh, they're in a boat. Okay. What color boat is it? Baby red. Bears. There's dogs in heaven, but there's probably not cats. There's lots of buildings. Really tall ones? Yeah. Like really, really tall? Yeah. There's gold everywhere. I think it has sand in a beach. Do you think there are sharks in heaven? No. Starfish? No, I hate starfish. <laughs> the trees should be green. Or the trees could be gold. There's no death, pain, sickness, or any of that bad stuff. Probably with ballerinas and statues of angels. What about the Statue of Liberty? Would it be there? Mm, yes. What else do you see? Basketball hoop. Basketball hoop? What do you see in heaven? I see muscle cars. Yeah, that's, that's what I see. Uh, welcome to Amazing Love. It's such a privilege to gather as we consider, again, that beautiful picture of heaven. And I want to tell you a story. I, I still remember being a young kid in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. I was standing in the garage and looking out at a thunderstorm. I watched the clouds as they changed from gray to green, and I had the thunder rattling my bones, rattling the insides. It was at that very moment that I had this thought. I'm going to be alive when Jesus returns. I'm going to be able to see him face to face. Now, what is your experience? Would anyone else say that they have this inkling that they're still going to be alive when Jesus returns? Anyone? It's why that when I went to Rome and I saw the Sistine Chapel, an image stuck with me, and it wasn't the creation of man. Rather, if you've been to the Sistine Chapel, what is by the altar is this picture, which is the Last Judgment. Now, thankfully, uh, Michelangelo was told to put clothes on the people. Uh, that's helpful, I think. Um, but this is a picture of Jesus returning. Coming on the clouds, separating the people, sheep and goats, believers from unbelievers. Here it is. And will you be alive to see it? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Let me phrase it a different way. If Jesus returns tomorrow, what would you or should you be doing today? Let me say it again. If Jesus returns tomorrow, what would you or should you be doing today? I don't know about you, but whenever I answer that question, I come to this principle. That you do live differently if you believe God's return is imminent. If he's going to return tomorrow, I maybe have some work to do. I might reach out to that family member who doesn't know him, and I, I don't care how awkward it would be, I'm going to give my best effort to tell them of the love of Jesus Christ and salvation full and free. What about you? I don't know about you, but if he's coming tomorrow, there's nothing I'd rather be than with my nearest and dearest friends in a church family, hearing God's word and being restored by his spirit. What about you? And then in another way, th this 
this question is convicting because maybe there are some things in my life that I wouldn't or perhaps even shouldn't be doing if he could return in my lifetime. You see, human nature is to put things off, isn't it? I, I don't know if it's a parent who tells a child, hey, this is your chore. And if you leave it just nebulous like that, please clean your room without, like, the word now. <laughs> That's way too nebulous for your child, right? Uh, they will delay and delay and delay until they hear, oh, now, mm-hmm, right? It's not just children, though. I don't know if you've been in college and you remember that one class, all it was was a project, and it was a project due at the very end. And, and so what was human nature? To delay and delay and delay, and then you pulled a couple all-nighters, and here's the project, right? And so what makes this question um, so perspective-given is because I'm here to tell you Jesus could return tomorrow. The signs are fulfilled as we covered in our, our first week. We are close to the edge of heaven. And so maybe we should be living differently than we are today. See, that's really why I love this series. Because this series, again, helps us to find the forest through the trees. The reality for much of our human existence is that we focus so much more on Monday and what's going on with our kids and what's going on with our company and, and, and who's playing the Bears today, um, right? Um, Mitch Trubisky's maybe back. Um, we're so absorbed by all those things that we lose sight of eternity, which outweighs every bit of minutia you're wrapped in of right now. God tells us to set our minds on the things above, not on earthly things. And so we're going to pause and we're going to do that. And one of the things we're going to ask is, well, what will that day be like? You know, that day is a pivotal day. Have you had any pivotal days in your life? Uh, some pivotal days are maybe when you said, I do or I will. A pivotal day was, it's a boy or it's a girl. A pivotal day spiritually is maybe your baptism or when you receive communion. These are awesome things. I consider pivotal days in, in history when it was the first day and God said, let there be an expanse, let there be the heavens and the earth, and he called out everything in creation. That was a pivotal day. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that was a pivotal day. His death and resurrection were both pivotal days. But what is remaining in Jesus' return? What is remaining is the last pivotal day. There is nothing that is going to supersede the importance of this day than when he returns. And so what does it look like? Well, we had Michelangelo's picture. Now I want to give you some pictures from Scripture. We're, we're going to get into the Word of God. Uh, we do believe the Word of God here is reliable, that God had His handiwork in preserving what we have in the New and the Old Testament. And so here is a picture from 1 Thessalonians of that day. Here it says, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. What's really interesting is when he returns, all of these things are happening immediately that day. 
uh, we do believe that we're caught up in the air um, and he's separating that day, that there's no wait, there's no rapture, there's no millennium, um, but rather that day it all happens simultaneously at his return. But I think Michelangelo gave us a pretty good picture. We have clouds, we have a trumpet, um, we have Christ descending. That's pretty awesome. Where I wanted to go with you now uh, during this series is to Revelation. Um, I don't know if you were here last week. Uh, Last week was one of the only weeks we've preached on the book of Revelation, and it is backed by popular demand. (laughs) Um, I I heard a lot of feedback on Revelation, and so we're going to explore a a little bit more of Revelation today in our time together. Um, So uh, we have all the scripture there before you. I'm going to invite you to follow along as it's recorded. You can follow along either in your worship folder or on the screen, and then we're going to pick them apart uh, just a little bit in our time together. So Revelation. Uh, Revelation, uh, this is chapter 19 about the Lord's return. It says, The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who is seated on the throne. They cried, Amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you sa- his saints, you who fear him, both great and small. I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad. And give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. That's one image. Here's another part of the image and his reign in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Again, we're not just on clouds as cherubs playing harps. There's actually going to be new heavens and new earth that he's been preparing for thousands of years. He's going to wow us, I believe. For the first in the earth, heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I cannot wait for the old order of things to be passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these are the words of the trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the, this is key, unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. These are the words that we get to consider. You know, it's interesting, that last part, if you were here last time, hell is an unpopular notion today, but hell is very real. But for us who believe, these are pictures of glory and greatness If you could do me a favor and turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them he is making all things new. He is making all things new. I'm excited to get into the word with you. 
You know, to start things off, um, I wanted to bring up a book that was given to me as a birthday present as a child. It was a book called The Magic Eye. I don't know if you remember some of these magic eye images. Uh, they were popular maybe two decades ago. Uh, there are these images that if you stare at them, something is supposed to pop out in a 3D kind of way. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you remember this? Okay. And a better question, how many of you could actually see the 3D items? Now, for a ton of time, I thought this was the worst gift ever because I stared and I stared and I stared and saw nothing, right? And everyone else said they could see dolphins and whatnot. But it was only after, like, hours upon hours of trying to find something that I, I found my secret. What I had to do was not just stare, but I had to cross my eyes, and when I slowly uncrossed them, it was only then that I could actually see, wow, there is something. I'm not sure what it is, but it's popping out. That's amazing, right? But I was super frustrated because something that says, you know, it's magic should, in my mind, not be so hard. It should have worked better, right? I'm pretty sure I cannot see whatever is here. I'm not sure I want to try. The reason I bring this up is because here's a reality that you don't always consider. Do you know that right now, Jesus has begun his reign? Do you know right now there is no power greater, there is no authority more than Jesus who is sitting on his throne currently? In fact, Ephesians will tell us this. Look, look what it says because of the ascension of Christ. He raised Christ from the dead in his ascension, seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. What does this mean? He's far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, now, but in the world to come. But what's really interesting is sometimes in order to see Christ's reign, I gotta like cross my eyes and stare and stare and stare because I don't know about you, there's so many things that hinder my sight of this. Whether it be what's happening in my personal life and the trials that are just normative in a sinful world. Whether it be news items and the persecution of Christians in certain countries and we wonder how long can this go on. Whether it be the state sometimes of Christianity when we who have been given such treasure don't always treasure it as treasure. And I wonder, really, like, right now? But he is. And what's greater about the day to come, what's greater about when the king returns, is that you will not need to cross your eyes, and you will not need to stare, and you will not need to connect the dots to know that there is a king, the king of kings, who rules now and forever. And we get a picture of this. In Revelation it says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. I cannot wait for that reign. But what I know about it is that when he comes, his reign and his authority will be unmissable. And so you don't have to worry, did he come already? You don't have to wonder, is he somewhere else and not here yet? When he comes, you will not miss him. 
everyone will come before the authority of that reign. We will all bow to his that authority, whether by, by right or by force or by choice. But because this is true, and because it could be tomorrow, this reign, how do we stay ready? Well, it's really interesting, whenever I read end times sections of the Bible, a pervading theme throughout all of end times uh, teaching is just this idea that e even more than when he comes is the idea that, that we need to be ready. We need to stay ready. And so how do we do that? I, I do believe that scripture lets us know. Something you should know is that the church describes, the, ch the, the, the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ and, and Jesus the groom. And what he says here is how we're to be made ready. So first it says, the wedding lamb has come. The wedding of the lamb has come. And that's, I just want to pause there, really cool to me. That God pictures heaven not as some boring um, thing where I have to pinch myself to stay awake. Uh, you know, where again, I don't prefer the songs. He pictures it at a party. The best of meats and the finest of wines. We're going to have this raucous celebration forever. All right, so there's the party. And his bride, the church, has made herself ready. Now how? Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, this imagery definitely reminds me of a wedding. And I don't know how many of you, as a bride, remember what it was to get ready for your wedding day. Or how many grooms remember what it was like to see their bride all done up and ready. It's interesting that the not.com has really helped us with this. If you're a bride, you can have the countdown going on on your phone. I was doing some research, and I, I found that brides who want to get ready, on average, spend $1,600 on a dress. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, I, I feel like that money should just go to the ring and just help the ring out. Anyway, um, and some of you still remember what it was like to, to get your hair done, to get your nails done, uh, to be with all the bridal party and just enjoy getting ready. Some of you groom remember what it was like to look down the aisle and be like, I am a lucky man today and every day. But anyway. So even in our culture, we know what it is like for a bride to get ready. So the question is, if we are the bride of Christ, how do we get ready? What's really interesting is that when you look at this, it says, you know, you need righteous acts. Um, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. But here is where the interpretation of the Bible is so important. If you don't know how to interpret the Bible, you're going to be confused here. One of the greatest principles is to take something confusing and translate it in light of the whole of Scripture. Don't just look at one confusing part, but look at what is revealed in other places as well. Because if I just read this, I might think, wow, good people go to heaven. Is that what you're tempted to think? The righteousness of myself will lead me to heaven. My righteous acts will lead me to heaven. Now, is that how we're saved? Not at all. In fact, I want to make that abundantly clear, especially if you're new to Christianity. You are not saved by being good, and you know why? No one's been good. <laughs> no one. In fact, when you come to a church, do you know we're all on the same level? There is not better or worse. There is just need. There are just beggars in need of the mercy of God. 
No one has it more together than another. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So then how do we get here? And what is it talking about? Well, I consider in another book um, that's very clarifying called Romans, how a man named Abraham got himself ready. Uh, Look what it says about Abraham. It says, Abraham simply believed God, and look what he was credited with. He was credited with that gown, more priceless than $1,600. He was credited through faith a righteousness, not of his own, but of the Savior. And so what do we know about ourselves? Uh, Again, here clearly, there is no one righteous, not even one. The, the, The Bible clearly reveals that. So then how are we made righteous? The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Which if you're still hanging with me and we ask the question, how are we ready for the return? Then here is the takeaway. Faith, and faith alone, grants us the white linens of Christ's righteous acts. Staying ready is about the state of your faith life. And so maybe we should scratch the surface of that. I love doing scales of 1 to 10. My family hates them. And uh, whether it be sick, whether it be how the day was, you know, scale of 1 to 10 it for me, please. And I think I'm going to do the same with you. As a pastor, I'm just really curious, and I don't need the answer, but I want you to do it in your heart. When it comes to your faith life, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the very strongest, where are you today? Let me ask you again. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the strongest, where is your faith life today? You know, another thing that I've been wrestling to the ground recently is the state of my spiritual maturity. Not my maturity as a person, but the state of my spiritual maturity, which is a different thing. And and, and sometimes I wonder, am I as mature as I should be based on the opportunities given to me to be mature? Does that make sense? Am I mature as I should be based on all the opportunities I've had to read the Word, be in the Word, to grow close to Christ? You don't know my answer? I'm not where I should be. What about you? And, And that's the convicting thing. That if we assess ourselves, I don't think anyone says, yep, I'm at 10. In fact, if there was an 11, I I know you didn't give an 11, Pastor, but I'm kind of an 11 here. No, when we ask that question, we see the room, the room that is left in a prayer life that is sometimes way too short. When we could talk to our Father all of the time, and yet we give him, what, five minutes? To hear from the Word. When we are saturated with biblical knowledge, whether it be podcasts or personal Bibles, and and that's hard to get into because our life is just too busy. Whether it be worship opportunities or service opportunities, all these things that can draw us close to the Lord. And yet so often it's easy to neglect them. And why? Because we have not set our minds on things above. We have only set our minds on earthly things. And our God says, watch out. Stay ready. Because someday you're going to see this. Someday every eye will see this. What's recorded in Revelation. This passage. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. 
He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. You're going to see that, whether you realized it or not. Jesus coming back. I love that my Savior is so cool, he has a name he hasn't revealed yet. My Savior is so cool, he has a name he's just keeping to himself. That's awesome. But I also love his robe dipped in blood because it reminds me that my sin is covered. That the blood of Christ is enough to wash me clean of any and every sin. That though I was stained like crimson, he has made me white as snow. And that's what he's done for you. Jesus has washed us clean and he has made us ready through his cross, through his life and through his resurrection. Hallelujah. And so how does this righteousness come to us? How do we get ready, stay ready? You know, here I'm reminded of what it is to go apple picking. Um, I don't know how many of you have been to County Line recently. Uh, and, and you think of apple trees. Um, if there is a branch connected to the tree, it is natural for the apple tree to produce an apple. In fact, I don't have to go to County Line and motivate the apple trees. You can do it. Come on. It's harvest time. Come on. Get those apples going. That'd be kind of ridiculous. Or think of this. What if I was yelling at a branch that was on the floor? Come on. I know you're not connected, but you're going to do it. Just believe. Not going to work. Do you know God says you're that apple tree? If you simply stay connected to Jesus, guess what you're going to produce? Fruit. The righteous acts that God talks about. In, in John, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, guess what? You're going to bear much fruit. But if you're a branch cut off, because without faith it's impossible to please God, it doesn't matter how much motivation you have. It doesn't matter how much good intent you have. It will impo be impossible to produce the fruit that pleases God. And so how do we... Be ready. We, we, we stay connected to Jesus, and it's then that we stay ready. It is then that actually, naturally, you're going to be producing those fruits. In, in fact, that's what I see in the church of God. I, I see beautiful people who are producing fruit. I, I saw it this morning as we gathered in a holy huddle. I see it every week, and, and I know all of the names. In fact, something you should know about the membership here, almost every member is producing fruit in some way, not only in their lives, but also for the church. It's incredible as you just simply stay connected to Jesus. It's awesome. So that's how we stay ready, but maybe before we go, we need to dwell a little bit of what it will be like. Now, one of the passages that struck me is when Jesus said, it is done. It reminded me of when Jesus was on the cross and said, it is finished, right? Salvation was accomplished. So when Jesus comes back, he says, it is done. And what is done? Everything that brings you down, that is going to be done. Every reason that you cry in the wrong way is done. Every pain that you feel in your body is done. Every time you have to be real and grapple with death, whether it be the death of someone else or your own mortality, Jesus says that will all be done. And it's fantastic. But there's one thing in particular I wanted to draw out that's going to be so fantastic about that new Jerusalem. 
that new heavens and earth. And to talk about this, I want to talk about how lonely we are in America. Have you heard any studies about this? Uh, the Week came out with this article called The Epidemic of Loneliness. I want to give you some statistics, if you'll permit me. They said that out of a group of 20,000 who were surveyed, 47% wrestle with loneliness or feeling left out. They said that 13% felt like no one knew them well. In fact, that's not something that just the United States is wrestling with, um, but also in Great Britain. In Great Britain, it says uh, 41% believe uh, that the TV or a pet is their major companion. Now, I like dogs, but not in place of people, right? In fact, in the UK, they have a cabinet member in their parliamentary whose only job is to uh, wrestle with loneliness and, and try to, again, tackle this issue because it's a problem. Loneliness is such a problem that there was a study done by BYU that it affects our mortality. They, they said that loneliness is just as bad as cigarette smoking and obesity because it can draw your life down by 15 years. I don't know about you, but that's pretty incredible. I think of loneliness today, you know, and I have no study for this, but when I was growing up, it was easy for me to call up a buddy and say, hey, you want to go play outside? And now I just look at our kids and technology and how easy it is just to text or to watch or to do screen time. And, and truthfully for myself as well, to text and never gather. And so loneliness is a thing. But here's why I love the new reign, the new kingdom that's coming. Let me give you a picture. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God's going to be your next-door neighbor. You're going to have the opportunity to say, Hey, God, want to grab a cup of coffee? Hey, God, could you tell me a story of something I never knew? Hey, God, what's your favorite meal? I cannot wait for the day when I'm no longer just in community with other people, but in true community with God, who is dwelling among us. In fact, that's the takeaway. The king's reign is characterized by community with God. It's a community that was seen in the very beginning. If you read the book of Genesis back in Eden, Adam and Eve had such community with God. In fact, uh, one passage says, Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Uh, imagine that. They knew where God was. And they could speak to him. As we someday will. I cannot wait. I've said that a lot. I cannot wait. But maybe I don't have to. Now bear with me here. I know that um, it'll be kind of weird if you see God this week. In fact, I don't think he's promised to show up in that way, in that visible form, um, unless he does return. But, but what are ways that we could skip to the end? What are ways that maybe we could get there a little bit sooner? I was drawn to one of the pictures of Jesus. That, that picture, okay, we, we covered the robe dipped in blood, the, the sacrifice for our salvation. But what is he also called? C can you just say this out loud? He is the... He's the Word. Now, friends, we may not be able to see God in community, but do you have a Bible? Do you have podcasts? Maybe to a degree we could skip to the end 
by simply doing this, by immersing ourselves in the word. And here's, here's the thing, like, I'm just convinced we immerse ourselves for all other reasons that, that are so much lighter. For example, um, and I have nothing against sports. In fact, I'm a big sports fan, and that's why I relate to this. But, but have you ever been immersed so much in a game that you knew kind of what every player was doing, why the ref was wrong, what needed to happen, I, I mean, and, and to the point where something good happened, like you couldn't control your emotions, you had to get up and say something, and when something bad was happening, it's like the world is ending because your team, and what are they doing, right? That's immersion, friends. For some, it's binge-watching Netflix. You know what it is to immerse yourself. For, for some, it's, it's uh, getting involved in a project, and you know what it is for just a chunk of time to be dedicated simply to that project. You know what it is in the classroom to say, i got to study for this test. When's the last time you truly immersed yourself in the same way in the Word? If ever. When's the last time you told yourself, I know God's not going to judge me for only five minutes, but what if for the next two hours, instead of binging, instead of the game, they're going to lose anyway. I kind of know when my sports team's not doing well. Um, uh, instead of doing that, I'm going to just dwell deeply in this thing called the Word, and I'm going to ask the question, do I feel better and more connected to God at the end? You know what I think you'll find? You might even now find a remedy for loneliness. You might even now find the power of that community because he works through the word. And so I challenge you this week, this is your homework, immerse yourself. Not because your salvation is at stake, but because this is what you get to do. And I don't know what it will be with you. Maybe it will be just two hours of dedicated reading time for the first time ever. Maybe it won't be that just on a day, but a whole week. You're going to plan out. And you're going to plan not only when you're reading the Word, but you're going to podcast sermons. Maybe it won't just be that. It'll be that you're reading the Word and you're podcasting sermons, and you're also having a dedicated prayer time where you carved out in your schedule 30 minutes to talk to God over the, the weighty things that are going on. What if we immersed ourselves? Do you think we'd find God? I think we would. And then another opportunity, which reminds me of my time in the Ukraine. And uh, we will be presenting soon about that, that and uh, just giving our, our people a picture of, of, of its awesomeness. But, but one of the things I saw in the church was community there as well. In fact, we were in the, the village of Kherson, and after a service, um, they all gathered together after the service, and I, I have a picture of it. Uh, everyone in the church was sitting at the same table, and they were sharing coffee, and they were sharing biscuits, and they were sharing candies. Do you know in the Ukraine, every time they have coffee, they always have a piece of candy? That's amazing. That's, I, I, we should do that, friends. Anyway, um, but when I was sitting there at the table, you know what I felt? Even though I didn't know the language, I felt known. I did not feel lonely. I felt like this is a group of people that I've just met who've now welcomed me at the table to just be one of them. You know what else I think would happen in this kind of community? They would probably sense when someone is missing. And they would probably sense when someone is having a rough time. You know why? 
because they're simply around each other. It's no secret. What if our church could be more like this? I'm not saying we're not, and I'm not saying we're ever going to find a table big enough. I, I don't think we have a table big enough, and hallelujah for that. Um, but, but, but what if we just explored the community of the church? What if knowing that the end is coming, it shaped your priorities to say, actually, this is my greatest opportunity every week. Now, the great thing in the Ukraine, there was the village of Ivanica. All they had was a school and a church. So if you wanted to have a social life, guess where you went? The school or the church. Now, I recognize that America's a little different. If you want a social life, go to the Chicago Theater, see Jim Gaffigan. You know, watch the Bears, right? You have a lot more options. But what if you decided in your own mind to separate some of those out and say, this is my community. I am in church and then something else. I don't know what else it is. What if you said, no, every Sunday I'm going to be there unless I'm sick? What if you said, I'm going to get involved in, in a group and meet other people and not miss it? I'm going to do it regularly so I can be known. What if you said, I'm going to serve and not miss opportunities to, to have those righteous acts? What if you said, if, if Amazing Love has an event, I'm going to be there? You know what I think will also happen? You'll be known. And you'll experience the power of community. Because it still exists. And it's offered here today. So I end where I began. What would you do if Jesus returns tomorrow? May the Spirit so guide and convince you. Amen.